Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Welcome back to the Mary Jane Experience, everybody. I am Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia. Coming to you from Eldora, Colorado. We're in the Gray Room studio now. Used to be the Green Room studio, but we moved. That's right. We moved into the Canavan. We got married. We were in New Jersey, recorded episodes down there. Now we're back in Colorado, recording episodes again. New studio. Better lighting in this one. Yeah. So the last episodes that you've been hearing have pretty much all been recorded in the Canavan. Yeah. And we are in a temporary space now for the next three months what, what? until January 5th when we get back into the Canavan. So look forward to that. Here we are ready to bring you some pretty interesting episodes that we've been holding on to for a bit and trying to get to. So I'm actually really excited about some of these because they've been building in my system for a while. <laughs> Sounds like you're constipated with podcasts. Mm. It's a bad joke. That's just, yeah. just, let's redact that from the record. Anyway. Strike it. Strike it from the record. Here we are tonight. What are we talking about? I, I'm just going to throw the name out there and then you take it from here. Dr. Ethan Russo. What did you guys talk about? So Dr. Ethan Russo is a pretty recognizable name if you're in the cannabis industry. He's well known for his cannabis research. A board-certified pediatric and adult neurologist. In the first half of our interview, we go through what the endocannabinoid system is. I can't hear it enough. I'm always digging for more information from (laughs) different sources about the Mm -hmm. endocannabinoid system. I think it's fascinating. Well, that's with good cause, though, because the endocannabinoid system, it, it keeps popping up as this, like, root of everything. Yeah, and it's confusing. I mean, I'm not a like super sciencey person. I'm an art major. So I need to keep hearing this. And after we dive into the endocannabinoid system and what that actually is, we go into endocannabinoid deficiency. Again, something that's, you know, we've heard a lot about. Exactly. So we can never have enough information about that for sure. Yeah, and so what it is, and how to know if you potentially are experiencing. Ooh, that's new. Because we've heard the endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, we'll call it a buzz phrase, but nobody's ever identified ways to say, ooh, this is how you might know that you're there. So that's cool. Exactly. And if you can figure out or if you suspect that you have endocannabinoid deficiency call it the symptoms of symptoms of how do you fix it so we go through essentially a lot of different ways to address issues of that nature and then products that you might have to experiment with and options and warnings going into that So that's the first part of our interview, all starting essentially just with how Dr. Ethan got into the cannabis world. And this is a perfect opportunity, too. We're going to change the format of our podcast, starting with this one with Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, So you might notice it different from the other episodes, but bear with us. We just want to let the conversation play a little bit more. So we're going to go that route. So just friendly heads up, but... Enjoy the conversation here. Before we get into the new format of the Marriage and Experience podcast, we'd like to acknowledge our friends at Terrapin Cove, a nature conservancy in Leesburg, New Jersey. Really cool space. They actually have a live stream where you can see wildlife as it happens. There's ospreys, there are terrapins, all manner of wildlife on the Maurice River. The man there that runs the place is just there for the animals. It is a very, very cool website. They're doing great stuff in Basic Nature Conservancy, also showing the power of how basic technologies and you as a person can get involved in Nature Conservancy. 
check it out at terrapincove.org or search them on YouTube to watch all of their nature videos. Very cool space. Check it out. They're a proud sponsor of the Mary Jane Experience podcast, and we love them because it's just fun to get high and check out. So check them out, terrapincove.org. Dr. Ethan, can you tell us about your history? Well, I am a board-certified pediatric and adult neurologist, but somewhere about 1990, I uh, redeveloped an interest in medicinal plants, and that led me eventually to become embroiled in the cannabis controversy, as I like to call it, circa 1996. That was the same year that Prop 215 developed in California, which provided medical access to cannabis. And uh, I really see that as the catalyst for everything that's happened in the ensuing 23 years. But I uh, tried to get formal permission from the federal government to do research on migraine using cannabis, but was stonewalled. But all that time, I was learning a great deal about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system, and I became very enamored of the subject and eventually it became a, a full-time career. From 1998, the year that GW Pharmaceuticals began, I was a scientific advisor and was asked to come on with them full-time in 2003, where I was involved in a variety of endeavors, including being the medical monitor and study physician for about 20 phase one to three clinical trials, and also serving as a liaison to clinicians and basic scientists in the cannabinoid realm. Nice. You seem to be one of the best experts, I'd say, on the endocannabinoid system. And if you could just explain that system to us um, in detail. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. First, we have to define physiology. Physiology is the science of how things work in the body. As it turns out, the endocannabinoid system is innately involved in keeping our physiology in balance, no matter what aspect it pertains to. To explain, endocannabinoids are endogenous cannabinoids. They are natural chemicals in our body, specifically anandamide and 2-arachidonoglycerol that closely parallel what THC does in the body. But beyond that, the reason this works is we have receptors in our body for these endocannabinoids, the same place that uh, THC lodges in the brain and other organs. And then uh, the third part of the system are the enzymes that make the endocannabinoids and break them down. So the endocannabinoid system is involved in regulating how things work in the body. Specifically in the brain, it regulates how much neurotransmitter release there is. And so if there's an excess of, of activity in a system, the endocannabinoid system will act to bring it back into balance. So if it's too low, it will bring it back up into the normal range. If the activity is too high, it'll bring it back down into the normal range. But additionally, the endocannabinoid system is just not working in the brain on things like whether someone will have seizures or not, vomit or not, regulation of emotions. But out in the body, it works on digestion, has effects in the liver, muscles, any organ you can imagine. What happens when parts of this system maybe aren't working or what you, I, I believe, coined endocannabinoid deficiency? Sure. Well, uh, again, when things get out of balance, it can have bad consequences. But when there's a deficiency of endocannabinoid function, there are a large number of things that can go wrong. Most prominently, uh, the development of pain, even where there isn't an obvious explanation for it. But there also can be uh, the development of nausea, inability to sleep, and the list just goes on and on from there. Digestive upset, diarrhea, gut pain. It's really an extensive set of circumstances. Additionally, 
people might develop a tendency towards seizures, epilepsy, that wasn't otherwise evident. Additionally, they could become anxious, suicidal, paranoid, all of these things. So your endocannabinoid system has a deficiency and you develop some sort of, sort of symptom. What do you do to fix that? And how do you, how do you know that it's an endocannabinoid deficiency? Well, it's a bit of a tough one, but clinical endocannabinoid uh, deficiency has been implicated in a number of very common conditions, including migraine, fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel syndrome. This is a theory, but it's been largely borne out by experimental evidence. As one example, uh, there was a study done in Italy circa 2007 in which they took samples of cerebral spinal fluid using a spinal tap or lumbar puncture and were able to show deficiencies, marked reduction in anandamide levels as compared to the fluid from people who didn't have migraine. Uh, so this was strong corroboratory evidence of an endocannabinoid deficiency at the root of migraine. But this isn't an easy thing to measure. We're not advocating that people get a spinal tap to try and ascertain their endocannabinoid levels. Eventually, we hope that uh, there would be simple blood tests. Right now, the blood tests are tough because this material is very unstable. It has to be frozen under liquid nitrogen and sent for analysis. Additionally, it is not always the case that the levels of the endocannabinoids in the serum will exactly parallel the levels in the brain. Additionally, although we'd like to have it, we don't yet have scans of the brain that would show the degrees of endocannabinoid function. So it is what we call a clinical diagnosis based on patterns of disease. Now, I guess the next thing is, what do you do about it if you have one of these conditions? Well, that's part of the problem. When we're talking about migraine, irritable bowel, and fibromyalgia, it really is the case that current standard medical treatments really don't help the majority of people in all instances. But there would be two approaches to helping one's endocannabinoid system to get back into balance. One would be non-drug approaches. These would include lifestyle factors that would include things like aerobic exercise, but additionally uh, dietary changes, an anti-inflammatory diet, particularly ones that would influence uh, good bacteria in the gut, what's called the microbiome. And that could be done with prebiotics and probiotics. Beyond that, one can certainly boost cannabinoid function through use of cannabis-based medicines. I love that you bring up diet because it's sometimes ignored and I think it's the number one first thing to try. As a cannabis advocate, I still advocate for going back to diet first. So if you're looking to use actual cannabinoids to balance your system, maybe you've tried everything else or maybe you just, that sounds like a good route for you. Let's talk about how that works. You know, is it, do you have to get high? There's a lot of hype around CBD, but is all that real? Let's go into that. Sure. Well, uh, the most immediate approach uh, would be to use something that uh, mirrors the endocannabinoid function. So that would be THC. But as, as you're aware, that's sort of a double-edged sword in that a little bit helps stimulate the CB1 receptor is good, but too much can be counterproductive in terms of side effects. So a little bit of THC could help a great deal Uh, with pain control, slowing down the gut and reducing anxiety, but too much will aggravate anxiety. And so there has to be a fine balance there. The point of treatment with any cannabis-based medicine is to reduce symptoms with the least side effects. So a key question that has been answered already is, yes, it is possible to treat symptoms of disease with an appropriate dose of a cannabis-based medicine in a way that does relieve those symptoms without producing an undue burden of side effects. So that's the aim in in treatment. One way to do that is when we have a mixed preparation that includes components of THC and cannabidiol or CBD. CBD has a really interesting role. It doesn't work directly on the cannabinoid receptors, but works indirectly. 
It reduces the side effect profile of THC, making it a more acceptable medicine, increasing what's called its therapeutic index so that it's better tolerated. Additionally, in long-term use, it seems that CBD can work indirectly to boost endocannabinoid levels. And certainly the combination has proven very useful in treating a wide variety of conditions. If you're thinking about using CBD and you do want a little bit of THC, but not enough to aggravate anything, let's talk about the the different options that you have there and what the entourage effect is if if you're looking into maybe a tincture. Sure. Well, this is very much dependent on where a person lives. We could divide the country up into areas where there are lots of choices, such as the West Coast, and places where there are few or none in terms of what's available in a given state. So someone in Idaho is going to have a hard time. But I would almost always advocate that uh, CBD on its own works a great deal better with at least a small component of uh, THC in the mix. And we know this from studies that have demonstrated that doses of uh, CBD required to effectively treat certain types of epilepsy may be as much as five times higher as compared to a mixed preparation that is more of a full spectrum extract and doesn't exclude other components. So it's really tough for the consumer out there because uh, number one, they might not live in the right place where there's availability of these types of medicines. And number two, there isn't a lot of truth in advertising and we have very poor labeling most places. My personal bias is that every sale of a cannabis-based product, whether for adult use or for medical use should be accompanied by a certificate of analysis on the current material. So the the patient will know not only what the cannabinoid profile is, but also the profile of terpenoids that contribute additionally to the medical benefits of cannabis through what's called the entourage effect. Absolutely. That's something we talk about a lot is getting a certificate of analysis to you know, see what you're actually getting, as well as make sure you're avoiding things like pesticides and other chemicals that could be harmful when you're just trying to heal. (laughs) So with all the different options there are on the market for CBD and other various tinctures, how, what are some of the biggest red flags that you would say people should be looking for? Well, it's not always easy for the consumer to know this, but if you have a label that doesn't specify the amount of material, I mean, one, one thing we see a lot is they'll say that there's a certain amount of hemp oil. Well, that's meaningless on its face. You want to know the exact concentration of material per unit. Uh, so in other words, how many milligrams of CBD are there per milliliter would be one example. But I can't endorse a single product. Again, I would emphasize that Some of these cannabidiol products are extracted from hemp refuse. We don't know how it was grown, how it might be contaminated, whether there is any accuracy to the label. In areas where there is availability, a more full-spectrum product accompanied by an analysis is going to be the the best way uh, for the potential consumer to go. So not that we haven't heard any of this information, this is all becoming familiar in the conversation of cannabis, how it affects your health specifically from a neurological standpoint. Again, we're dealing with a pediatric and adult neurologist, very similar to neuroscientists, people that we've talked to in the past, but they all point back to the endocannabinoid system and its potential to balance one's kind of body or overall system right it almost feels like like the endocannabinoid system more and more and more feels like the oil pan of the engine that is the human body <laughs> like if if you You're run a little more uh, car mechanic than maybe i am 
Well, we'll just think about it like oh, like all oils need to be lubricated or all engines need to be lubricated with oil and it kind of creates balance in the whole system. It's not the cooling system, it's not the ignition system, it's not this, that's not that, but all of the systems kind of rely on this basic need. So I'm going to go ahead and call the endocannabinoid system the human oil. And it makes me think of the uh, Dane Cook joke where he's like, gasoline makes me run. I'm a o- car. O- oil is my blood. Yeah. So essentially <laughs> anyway. we talked about the endocannabinoid system. We talk about it a lot on this podcast and I'm a big believer of repetition as far as learning goes. Absolutely. So for me, I'm always asking about the endocannabinoid system again, just to reiterate what I already know mm-hmm. and also to see if there's anything new. But Dr. Ethan reiterated essentially what we already know. The endocannabinoid system keeps all systems in the body in balance from digestion to mood to all sorts of functions. It's like just across the board, your endocannabinoid system is keeping your entire body in balance. And we all know that imbalance is bad. Balance is good. We like balance. Yeah, but imbalance, which is called in the endocannabinoid system, is endocannabinoid deficiency, Mm -hmm. which essentially leads to, if if your endocannabinoid system isn't working, right, it's no longer maintaining homeostasis balance in your body, which all of a sudden all these things that maybe it's maintaining are out of whack so you start to experience pain and nausea and insomnia yeah all sorts of problems start to arise but it is the interesting point that i thought was how to detect for it or or how to tell because a lot of these things could be caused by a number of factors um endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome could be one of them but the thought of having to go to like a spinal tap situation <laughs> to find out if that's the case is a little rough. I don't, th- I don't think a lot of people are like, going to Obviously, do that. all of our <clears throat> cannabis research is just yeah. not possible. Obviously, Dr. Ethan said that it'd be great if we could, like in the future, it's just going to be a blood test. Mm-hmm. It's just not there yet, unfortunately. And this is across the board with cannabis, right? Yeah. We, we just don't. The testing, the science, it's not there. There's a lot of great information, but until it becomes FDA unregulated, we'll call it, there's there's not a lot we can do. But the good point also to say was THC and CBD, we can, like, you can self-test on your body with minimal risk, which is kind right. of important. So if you suspect that you're suffering from endocannabinoid dis- deficiency, Unfortunately, you can't just go to your doctor and be like, is it endocannabinoid deficiency? They're going to be like, what the fuck is that? Your doctor <laughs> like, all right, even... stoner. Yeah, no yet. But if you're experiencing symptoms, which in general would be, you know, obviously what we mentioned before, pain, nausea, insomnia, blah, blah, blah. The best place to start, and you think I'm going to say weed, but I'm not. <laughs> just kidding. You heard, you heard it from Ethan. You want to start with your diet. You want to start with mm, an anti-inflammatory yep. diet. You want to balance your microbiome. Um, pre and probiotics are so important. You should be taking those every day. I do. I didn't even know that. I'm a huge fan of turmeric for that exact reason. Like that, the anti-inflammatory characteristics of something, and then also Lemon not water eating in the morning. Yeah, not eating dairy. Celery juice. Yep. Cured meats. Avoiding that. Celery juice helps. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and then yeah. there's other things like exercise that can really help. So. You know, think about lifestyle changes, but a lot of people have gone through that and they're like, well, I'm still having problems and nothing's working, which is a great place to throw in cannabis-based medicines. And we know that THC stimulates the CB1 receptor, which helps to balance the endocannabinoid system. A lot of THC cannot feel great for everybody yeah, thc alone can be an issue yeah which is right? where it comes to what you were just saying with the cbd thc balance that's particularly safe the cbd helps balance out some of the like kind of more intense feelings of, mm-hmm. of THC. well that's what the, yeah when you have like the the anxiety feelings and like the 
um <clears throat> i call it roller roller coaster brain when you just start thinking in loops basically mm-hmm. sometimes it, that is just anxiety driven you just need to calm down cbd can help that yeah but um and obviously like it depends on where you live a lot of people only have access to cbd which on its own can work for some people depends on your endocannabinoid system but obviously the entourage effect is the best thing you can hope for which means if you have a little thc in your cbd or a mixture of a bunch of cannabinoids you're going to get the best effect and you're going to know full spectrum (laughs) so you're going to know if you're getting that in a product if you look at the coa Mm -hmm. or certificate of analysis and authenticity we're not trying to sell coins here analysis (laughs) no i know no no i'm saying not authenticity oh yeah yeah. not trying to sell coins um and that'll tell you all the cannabinoids that are in it and it'll also tell you the exact amount you're getting so you know the milligrams of cbd dr ethan brought up a great point that a lot of people are selling hemp oil which is actually the snake oil because (laughs) it's great as like an olive oil or something to moisturize your skin. Makes a great salad dressing. Yeah, but that's not going to have any CBD, what you're paying for, that therapeutic compound. So Even though hemp is cannabis and cannabis is hemp, it doesn't have the cannabinoids that you're looking for in this regard. It's different because it's pressed from the seeds and as opposed to the flower which actually has the CBD content, but when you just press it from the seeds, it's just oil. And this is just a quick public surface announcement. If they spell hemp's with a Z, just don't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Just just don't. (laughs) There might be a company out there. Anyways, so that's the basic gist of part one. We are gonna get into some really cool things part two right after this ad. That's right, kids. We got to keep the lights on. Hashtag keep the lights on. Today's episode is brought to you by Tokativity, the global cannabis community for women. Tokativity hosts experiential events that focus on female empowerment and cannabis normalization through creative, social, political, and feminist forward activities in the local chapters across the globe. Their nonprofit social club works to empower women at the root level by creating social, interactive, and creative environments with a focus on plant-based medicine for women to explore personal and professional growth in a space away from the male gaze. Join the movement today at tokativity.com connect. Next up, cannabis and the opioid epidemic cannabis for brain tumors and cancer, cannabis for Alzheimer's, using cannabis preventatively, do cannabis topicals work, and industry predictions. That's what we're going into with Dr. Ethan on part two. Let's roll. God, you're so gay. We actually have an episode coming up on label fidelity as well and uh, making sure that companies start putting what's actually in the products on the label. But that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Turning the tides a little bit here, I wanted to talk about cannabis and the opioid epidemic. Well, a very complex topic, but first, let's lay the groundwork. In 2017, there were 72,000 Americans that died in overdoses. Unfortunately, my niece was one of them. But it is a situation where we have a great deal of evidence, both from animal work and in humans, of an opioid sparing effect of when cannabis is available as medicine. What that means is that people can lower their dose and often get off of chronic opioids when they substitute a cannabis-based medicine. There have also been various public health studies that show reductions in opioid prescriptions and total usage of opioids in places where cannabis is available medicinally. It's not clear in all instances whether that's a cause and effect relationship, but those of us that are work in this space have no doubts that cannabis is part of an exit strategy from excess opioid use. 
Among the findings are that we know that opioid doses are reduced, particularly in painful conditions when cannabis is aboard, that it reduces withdrawal symptoms, makes it a great deal easier for people to escape that trap. That's one of the biggest roles that I see cannabis playing right now. You know, there's, of course, a lot of, lot of benefits, but that seems very important. If you are trying to maybe help somebody reduce their opioid use or, or yourself, what path would you suggest going down? Sure. Well, obviously, our recommendation is that this be done under the supervision of a physician uh, who has experience in the area, but that's a big ask. The odd thing is that many patients find them tapering the opioids on their own. They may notice that their pain's a lot reduced, doesn't get any worse if they reduce the dose of the opioid, or they may be uh, taking more notice of opioid-associated side effects, such as feeling logy or particularly constipation, and they tend to taper on their own, even without instruction. Now, again, that's not something we'd recommend. Normally, this is something that patients should pursue very slowly in a stepwise fashion, but in talking to my colleagues, they find repeatedly that patients often manage a taper and even discontinuation of opioid medications on their own. Quite amazing. I love that, that it almost happens naturally. So I want to talk a little bit about some other conditions that cannabis seems to have a lot of potential for and, and just what the, you know, the overview maybe of the latest research for things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, brain tumors. Right. So where should we start? Which one? <laughs> well, um, let's start with brain tumors. Okay. Brain tumors are, there's an expression in neurology that there's no such thing as a benign brain tumor. That may seem surprising, but uh, uh, relatively common type of tumor is a meningioma. It's benign tissue, but it's not benign because of the location. On if it reaches any size, it's encroaching on the brain and, and causes big problems. But most commonly, we're talking about malignant brain tumors or cancers, uh, especially the most severe one, glioblastoma multiforme, that Senator McCain had, Senator Kennedy had. And both, both instances led to their deaths. Currently, this is considered an incurable condition. There is a very low five-year survival with this diagnosis. And the treatment often includes surgery, attempts at chemotherapy, and radiation, but almost inevitably, people succumb to this. Over the course of the last 20 years, both in laboratory studies and now with initial studies in humans, it seems that this terrible tumor is particularly sensitive to treatment with cannabis-based medicine. And uh, that offers actually many advantages over the standard approaches. Normally, we want to combine with standard approaches because that is where the best results are obtained. But for instance, there was a study that's been reported online, not yet published, and I'll give the reason why in a moment. This used Sativex, uh, cannabis-based medicine that's approved in 30 countries, but not the U.S., which is a combination of a high THC extract and a high CBD extract. They use 12 sprays a day of this, which is about 32.4 milligrams of THC and 30 milligrams of CBD in conjunction with a chemotherapy drug called temozolomide. Um, they had a much uh, longer survival rate uh, in the people that got the combination rather than temozolomide alone. The reason this hasn't been reported in a journal yet is because there, there's continued survival over that normally expected. In other words, the statistics are improving every day that patients survive. So this is a very promising approach. And it's also one that many thousands of people across the country are using on their own outside of formal clinical trials. Again, those of us in this space are well acquainted with situations where people were told that there was nothing more that medicine 
could offer, but who have had prolonged survival because of cannabis-based medicine. I would emphasize, however, though, that our best evidence is that cannabis-based medicine should be combined with standard uh, treatment approaches. And our best evidence is also that they need to be continued indefinitely to enjoy, hopefully, prolonged remission. Those are really good additions because I think there's a little bit of a perception out there that cannabis can cure everything um, and you can ditch all those other methods. So it's important to remember that the combination is, is necessary. Uh, right. You know, my best advice to people is they work with an oncologist who'll be open-minded to the combination, but they shouldn't avoid standard approaches and think that they're going to get a cure from cannabis alone. That could be the case, but our best evidence is otherwise. What do we know about Alzheimer's? Well, uh, people, again, are probably aware that uh, there's an increased incidence of Alzheimer's disease in this country and in Western industrialized countries. That's been attributed by most people to advancing age, but that really isn't the story. There seem to be many other factors, including dietary ones, but this is a complex disorder. We know that there can be genetic predispositions to it, but most cases are not familial. Um, this is a degenerative disorder of the brain, impairing memory and other cognitive thinking functions that eventually uh, leads to deterioration and death from other causes, typically from pneumonia or something else. Heretofore, Standard approaches have been extremely disappointing in treating this. Uh, we have a few drugs that might temporarily improve memory function, but nothing that arrests the inexorable progression of the disease. However, there is hope in that it has been demonstrated that both THC and CBD can interfere with the production of abnormal proteins and their accumulation in the brain. We also know uh, from anecdotal evidence that uh, cannabis-based treatments are excellent in reducing anxiety and agitation in patients who are institutionalized, allowing them to rest, get sleep, and in some instances, improve their functional abilities. So it's a very promising area that really needs formal randomized controlled trials. Hopefully with legalization, we can open up more doors to research. And I, I would love to pick your brain about every condition that there is, but we don't have all that time. So I would end that subject with if you're just a healthy individual, um, or at least you think you are, how could, do you suggest using cannabis or CBD or any cannabinoid combination as a potential um, supplement or, you know, a, a pre, something to avoid getting disease? Well, let me answer by saying this. If we look at the demographics of cannabis use, the, the rises are most apparent in the over 50 years of age demographic. So a lot of people are discovering enhancement of their functioning. It may be that they're treating a specific condition, could be as simple as arthritis or insomnia, but we do hear a lot about people using this in the same way that they would use another health supplement to enhance some aspect of their health or well-being. So I'm not going to stand here and say that this is for everyone at all. They have to be cognizant of the risks and benefits, also the legal situation where they live. But as we've already discussed, there are many ways in which cannabis-based medicine can enhance health and help treat disease. You mentioned arthritis, and I wanted, I'm always curious about topicals and how effective they might be. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because the, this is one of the most common misconceptions. Cannabis is great in treating skin conditions such as acne and inflammatory conditions. However, our best evidence is that it just isn't absorbed well. We hear lots of stories of people rubbing this on their joints and feeling like they have instant relief of the pain. If so, that's great, but it's unclear how it's working. It may be acting on pain receptors in the skin above the joint rather than in the joint itself. 
We know very well at this point that the levels in the blood of the cannabinoids are inadequate to treat an internal condition. There was a study done with a topical trying to treat epilepsy and it was a failure, which I think any scientist would have predicted. Interesting. That's that's sort of what I thought. So, and if you, because of course we can't cover everything, do you have any specific resources that you would recommend people to look into for some of these things? Uh, well, you know, I've written extensively about cannabis in various conditions. Some of that material is available online. If they would go to a, probably easiest thing is a, a website called Semantic Scholar, one word, Org. They input my name, Ethan Russo, and cannabis. There'll be a large list of uh, studies, some with available free PDF access. So that would be the simplest way. Additionally, although the internet also contains a lot of contrary material, great source is the PubMed website. That's the National Library of Medicine. And so again, people could input any search terms there and they would get a listing of articles and abstracts that are peer-reviewed scientific publications. Perfect. And I'll link to all of those in the blog that comes out with the podcast. So one question we ask everybody that comes on the show is for their one, five, and 10-year industry predictions. Oh, boy. It's always a tough one. It really is more of a political question. I think that we could have a situation in 10 years in which we have good access to a large number of cannabis-based materials with excellent evidence behind them and excellent quality control, but it totally depends on what happens with federal law. I expect that we're always going to have a mix of three different things. Those will be pharmaceutical forms of cannabinoids that have been through the Food and Drug Administration approval process. We also may have supplements that have some body of evidence behind them, and we'll have garden variety cannabis that people use perhaps uh, through their own cultivation or through legal channels. The problem is that one or another of these aspects of the industry may harbor the illusion that they can eliminate the other two. And I, I just don't see that happening, nor do I think that it should happen. My hope is, is that we're able to get a lot more research, at least in the next five to 10 years, <laughs> and push things along. So just to close things out a little bit, is there anything that maybe I wouldn't be informed enough to ask you about or anything we missed or that you'd just like to add? I would just uh, make a statement that for people who haven't really considered this topic before, that they be open-minded about the therapeutic possibilities of cannabis. And if they have the time and resources to delve into the topic and uh, learn more about it, because it is likely that they or someone in their immediate family is going to need it at some point. That's, um, that's an unfortunate fact, but better to be educated in advance. Exactly. I mean, and that's what we're here for. We try to be unbiased and say, you know, pro cannabis or not, you should be educated. And sure. And I'd just add that there's this misconception out there that cannabis is miraculous as medicine. I'm here to say that it's not. However, it is incredibly versatile and properly administered can be extremely safe and beneficial. Another great point that it's, it's not a wonder drug, but has a lot of potential and some that we don't even know about yet and some that maybe we've inflated. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Dr. Ethan, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate your knowledge and I'm excited to share it. My pleasure. interesting stuff again from dr ethan russo uh let's just jump right into this brain tumors seems like there's some effectiveness there for cannabis usage and it sounds 
not again like we talk about it's just use your cannabis in replacement of something else more in additive to something or additive to your current treatments correct yeah so he brought up the glioblastoma multiforme which i think is how he said it but i'm not sure that senator mccain and senator kennedy both had and in both instances led to their deaths right ultimately uh pretty intense forms of cancer that is considered totally incurable Mm. and there's been really promising results on sativex Mm -hmm. which is cbd thc as well as um, i don't know how to pronounce it but a chemotherapy drug as well i gotta hear it's temo temozolide temozolamide 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 Um, Which I think is really important to note is that a lot of people are like, oh, man, RSO cures cancer. And maybe it does. Or maybe it could help. And maybe it can help. A, there's not enough research. And B, the best evidence that we have right now is a mixture. Yep. And so we don't want anybody thinking that we're like, hey, grow weed in your backyard and then eat the plant like salad and you'll cure your cancer yeah Um, cannabis can't cure your cancer it can help right yes and i think that it can also be one of the most effective treatments in in combination in com exactly so in combination so this is almost poetic like the entourage effect the entourage (laughs) effect like it could help when you're when you're taking chemo or a very serious drug this might help alleviate some of the side effects of that and that might improve the effectiveness of your existing um treatment but it's not in replacement yeah and i thought it was super cool that he was quoting a study that hasn't been released yet Mm -hmm. but i thought it was super cool that the study wasn't released or reported yet because there was so much continued survival and they didn't expect that. They thought everyone was going to die because everything they've been doing so far, everyone just died off. But they used this treatment that has THC and CBD and people are living way longer. Well, there you go. So he can't even state, the, like, say, oh, it's this article. It's this research. He's like, I've heard of it, but I can't really talk about it yet. It's because ongoing. It's too many those. people are living. <laughs> <laughs> Again, anecdotal evidence pointing in the right direction. Well, we'll it's that. an actual study. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, uh, well, well, that side of it being like it's an ongoing study, but the study is showing good signs. Yeah. Right. So I think it's super interesting. It's something we need to keep a very close eye on, and we will be mm-hmm. because it's a huge, huge issue. And something we skipped over that was a little before that was the opioid em- epidemic. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I just jumped into brain tumors. I apologize. So... Well, it's kind of more interesting, <clears throat> but... <laughs> depends on who you are but i also thought that it was a really interesting issue with the opioid epidemic that people were self-sparring yeah the opioid sparring effect yes that's that's one of those uh, we're just going to repeat it until people get it opioid sparring effect of cannabis go (laughs) (laughs) so essentially what that means obviously ethan said it but i thought it was cool to hear that people just do it on their own opioids are this insanely addictive drug that takes over people's lives and then you introduce cannabis and they get better on their own yeah i mean how amazing is that again that comes back to just that's poetry in life right there like you introduce this natural uh, i come back and we'll and we'll talk about this more in a second too um about the the capability of cannabis to be distracting from every day without being harmful, mm-hmm. which is why I think people enjoy myself. And I'll just say, using myself as an example, I enjoy alcohol. I enjoy that it distracts me from the present. So this is why it's, you know, like people taught it for like pain and anxiety and all of these other things, because it's just distractive, but it's not harmful in the way that opioids and alcohol well, and yeah. chemo even. Again, don't get off your chemo and start doing weed. We're just saying supplementally use it as a distraction and i think people aren't really touting that and it's just you and maybe that's just me i think i'm right about everything of course but 
<clears throat> I like that distractiveness of it. And but the this proven point of opioids opioids sparring people that start to use cannabis while still on their opioids are almost self-caring themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, and and what you said there a little bit going back to what Dr. Ethan said is just the when you're trying to find any cure or just trying to fix any kind of illness you need you just need to balance the curative healing effects with the side effects and things like you mentioned alcohol you're like well that makes me feel good but it in the long run it doesn't right in this very short term alcohol might make you feel less stressed but then the next day you'll be double stressed whereas cannabis has the almost the same stress relieving effects whereas the next day you might even feel better yeah so Mm -hmm. outweighing or weighing the cause and effect essentially is is really important no matter what you're using it for and it's Mm -hmm. different every single person is so different which is also why i suggest journaling (laughs) (laughs) and understanding your body and knowing what you're using and what you've done that day that goes back to our episode with gold leaf i was just gonna say shout out to gold leaf yeah listen to that one Mm -hmm. but definitely journaling journaling i think is is huge Mm mm-hmm um, All good things. And moving on to Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Fabitrio Plampona. Pamplona. Yeah. I already think... spoke to you. Same kind of observations mm-hmm. with usage of cannabis. Again, as best we possibly can. Hashtag FDA. Hashtag legalized. Can I, can I mention here yeah, go for that it. most people think that Alzheimer's is hereditary, is in their genes. Mm-hmm. And as... Um, Ethan points out and a lot of people have in, in the most recent science that it act, that's like completely unfounded. It's diet and exercise that actually matters. <laughs> and this comes back to inflammation too. And I think in a way, because this is the problem. All right, so my mom has um, ataxia and we thought it was hereditary, but it turns out that it is not. Well, it is, but it's, it doesn't matter. Like anybody can have it, but if anybody in your family has ever had it ever, you could have it. And it comes down to inflammation of the brain, mm-hmm. which is why like <clears throat> MS, Alzheimer's, any of that, they just suggest like no more red meat. Like that's the first. Yeah. So I guess that's just like a PSA to people who are like, I've heard so many people say this to me. They're like, oh, well, you know what I'm nervous about is, is Alzheimer's. That's in my family. And then they eat like three pounds of bacon. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, and you're not yes, helping yourself. And cause. so like comes back to what you're talking about previously is that if you suspect you have an issue, the first place you should go is diet. Amen. And exercise. You balance your microbiome. Mm-hmm. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to smoke a bunch of weed. Maybe I'll get better. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a combination of everything. It's not just weed. It's not just Western medicine. It's everything you do and put into your body. And I know that sounds hard. But, um, but I just think it's so important to note that everybody tells these self, themselves these stories. That yeah. this is what my mom had. This is what her grandmother had. I'm going to get that. Yeah. Don't do that. No. Don't. Just fix yourself. Yeah. Nothing changes. Hey, nothing changes if nothing changes. So that was cool. Um, hearing that again, another person in a similar scientific field backing up some evidence from another person, completely ill respective and, and not even related to this man, um, having some similar results. So that's yeah, cool. very it's similar. A, so what he actually said about Alzheimer's is that THC and CBD can interfere with the production of abnormal proteins and their accumulation in the brain, which is basically exactly what Fabrizio said. Yeah. He's probably looking at, at those studies, but at the same time, not enough evidence. Yep. Moving so on. moving forward, can cannabis use preventatively? My personal bias is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this comes back, and this is why I said before, um, distractive medicine, because mm-hmm. I think... I think that there's something to be said for distraction, which is why everybody loves alcohol, at least in the Western world. Um, but also why people love religion. It's distractive. Like 
<clears throat> things that take you out of your current existence, because let's be honest, the human condition is just about suffering varying degrees of it. Like you either suffer less or more or whatever. Anything that's distractive, it like is helpful in a way. Mm-hmm. And so using cannabis as a distractive medicine can be pre- preventative. Well, it's stress relief and stress yeah. is the root of all evil. Yeah, amen. root of all illness. <laughs> <laughs> root of all illness, Which and you then could call root of all evil because illness. And then if you top a little, uh, you know, inflammation on top of that, then guess what? Cancer. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I think that because of the lack of side effects, if you just took a full spectrum tincture, yeah. you might be doing yourself a favor. And you don't need the the hallucinogenic side, like yeah. the, the full spectrum. Psychoactive. You yeah, psychoactive. Um, you just anything with all of those good cannabinoids again, full spectrum. What define the, the difference between full and broad spectrum? Because I know you know this. Yeah, so there's three types of oils. If you're like looking at the CBD world, that you can get. One is isolate, which is just CBD, no THC. It's been totally refined down to like the only CBD. We're gonna say not great. Not ideal. Anyway, great if you are getting drug tested though. Great if you're getting drug tested. to note. But broad spectrum is good as well because it has a broad spectrum, essentially, of (laughs) cannabinoids. So it has a bunch of them, but not all of them. So Mm -hmm. most people in broad spectrum are essentially saying that they're taking the THC out. Not everybody, but most of the time that's the case. It's a great option if you're getting drug tested and you don't want to get any THC but check that COA because some people still have THC in there full spectrum is the best possible because you get every cannabinoid that the plant presents which is just how nature intended it and how scientifically from the studies that we've seen is the most effective so full spectrum as Dr. Ethan said as well tends to be the best which brings us to topicals and I'm going to, just as a avid athlete and a tester of every single topical I can get my hands on here in Colorado with and without THC, some CBD only, some broad spectrum, full spectrum, isolate, across the board, bullshit. Yeah, unfortunately, our best evidence is that it just isn't absorbed well through the skin. Great for topical uh, skin issues like acne or eczema and things of that nature. But if you're using topicals for pain, it's very likely that you're wasting your money. Yeah. And and it, ask people because I recently asked somebody and I'll, I'll, I'll leave the company name out of this podcast, but they will be in a review. Um, I asked the nice young lady at the dispensary who was doing their little pop up and I was like, oh, is there a transdermal compound? Is there a way for the THC and the CBD, the things that you are touting most importantly in this topical? Is there a way for that to get subdermal below my skin? Her response was, and I quote, well, we don't like to call it medicine, so we don't like to make any medical claims. Thus, we can't say that there's a transdermal compound in here, which if anybody ever tells you that means bullshit because they can just simply use something called Arnica Montana, which is a totally naturally occurring um, compound, and it is transdermal. It will deliver. It's actually how opioids have been delivered transdermally so anybody that says that they're just skirting the issue i would i would say the only thing that that bomb would relieve is your wallet (laughs) anyway (laughs) but that's true i mean i really do i mean when i first got into the industry i was like so excited about topicals i bought 500 of them i wanted to try them all and slowly but surely we've learned that it's really just a complete waste of money and it kind of breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I had a lot of hope for it. So that's that's that for now until we have further information. Well, we were just talking about this. We just want everybody, we don't want anybody to be taken for a ride. We want this to be done honestly and ethically and for people to make a topical and just throw some CBD and THC in there and then charge you. for a little, you know, vial of it. It, For a lotion that should cost, you know, $10 bucks max. It it just feels like people are taking you for a ride and feels like people are taking advantage of you. And we just don't want anybody to be taken advantage of. It's not that we're not an advocate of the plant. We're not an advocate of 
topicals with THC and CBD in them. We're just not advocating the trust in somebody that just just seems like they're selling you snake oil. Just if it smells like bullshit, chances are. Anyway, that's our thing on topicals. And uh, yeah, anything else? Post show, we'll call it. Well, let's finish off with Ethan's one, five, and ten year oh, industry right. predictions. My favorite question. Thanks for listening. We love you. <laughs>